So the first reading is from Matthew chapter 11. And at this point in Matthew's gospel, John the Baptist is in prison and he sends his disciples to Jesus with a message, or actually with a question. So Matthew 11, uh, at verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messengers ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For, for the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The second reading is from the first chapter of Luke and it's about two miraculous pregnancies and the naming of two children. Luke chapter 1 starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. and You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured? 
that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one amongst your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John, and they marvelled all. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbours were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kim. Today, another, another They Marvelled text, as we've been doing throughout the series in Advent. And you can see the series outlined on page one of your, of your zines. Uh, this They Marvelled text, this is a resolution to the Zachariah moment from last week, if you were here at our carol service. If you were there, uh, you'll remember that Zechariah told, was told by an angel that his aging wife would have a son uh, who'd be called John. That's what the angel said to Zechariah in the temple where he tarried so long. Uh, that child, the promised child to old Zechariah and old Elizabeth, uh, would get his people ready for the Lord. He would clear a path for the Lord to come. Now, in that temple, Zechariah didn't believe it. And so the angel said to him, this is all last week, the angel said to him, no more talking for you. No more talking for you. You'll be silent until you can see uh, with the birth of John that God keeps his promises. And so he comes out of the temple with his tongue stilled, which is a strange gift, even if judgment time really to reflect that when God speaks things happen he learns that by having his tongue stilled an example of God speaking and it happened would be for example let there be light so where is our they marvel text uh, 
in the reading on pages 10 and 11. Well, it's, it's in verse 62. Uh, Elizabeth insists that the, the child gets born to Elizabeth in her old age, and Elizabeth insists that the child will be called John, as the angel commanded. The family are a bit pushy. All families are at this stage of birth, or often they are. This family's pushy. They insist that uh, the child can't be called John because there's no relative of that name. And so in verse 62, they made signs to his father, to Zechariah, to find out what he would name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. Uh, you know, that's with chalk, not, you know. And to everyone's astonishment, uh, he wrote, his name is John. To everyone's astonishment. Everyone's astonishment. Now that word there, astonishment, is the Greek word thalmadzo, which is printed on page 12. Uh, the King James goes like this. Um, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, his name is John, and they marveled all. They're astonished. It's used here to describe this moment that this child should be called John, but it's used over and over and over and over and over again in the Gospels to talk about Jesus Christ. Thalmadzo. It's a verb. It means to be in wonder, to be awestruck to be astonished, amazed, to marvel. And that's why all these words are on the end of your pews in the lead up to the Christmas services. And after this moment, they're marveling. His name is John, verse 64. Zachariah's mouth was immediately opened. His tongue loosened and he spoke and praised God. So what is it about Jesus Everywhere he went then, people amazed. Even all these events surrounding his birth, like this one, they marveled all. But here it is, even now, um, Jesus captivates hearts. I'm one of them. He's got my heart. And there's something about Jesus. You know, he's not a superhero. And yet he defeats death. He comes to save people. He's no Superman, but he defeats death. He's not a man of steel. He is, he is God with us, but he's God with us in frail flesh. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. This is just a Jewish carpenter, right? Isn't this Joseph's son, they say? Born to a teenage girl in a little town of Bethlehem under Roman occupation, uh, but Jesus never really sort of did the international speaking circuit. You know, he's not the sort of person that, you know, was a pastor, stopped being a pastor and is now doing power positive speaking or coaching. That's not him. He didn't write a book. He didn't promote his own fame. It's impossible to imagine Jesus creating Jesus.org with a giving link. And yet, travel the world today, look into churches, art galleries, certain schools, hospitals, charities, and you'll see the care and love he awakens. During the advent, I've been challenging people to go to Fisher Library in the stack at Sydney University and go find a book that's negative about the life of Jesus. And I promise you, there are thousands. It's not easy to find a negative commentary about Jesus. His life... Remarkable. 
His words, profound. His miracles, baffling. His death and resurrection, life-giving. They marveled all. Dr. John Dixon, uh, who we're partnering with next year, said, without a doubt, the best case for Christianity is the life of Jesus. Go read a gospel. I think if you read the story of the Bible, the joy of the Bible can be voiced in four simple words from the prophet Isaiah. Your God will come. That's the hope of the world. It's the hope of the Jewish people who were given promise, the covenant to Abraham and to, to, uh, to David and to those in exile, promises to those in exile. Your God will come. It's the hope of Advent. It's the hope of every Christian all year round. And uh, the idea of the season is that we learn all year to have a restless joy. It's joy, but it's restless. You want him to come together with a quiet patience in God and the future that he has promised to those who love him. I call it a patient thirst. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 64... Oh, that you rend the heavens and come down. In Isaiah 35, I love this. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way and say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He'll come to save you. And when he comes, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the mute tongue will shout for joy. Zechariah proves it. And the lame will leap for joy. John the Baptist was in prison in that first reading and he is not sure. <laughs> and so he sends word to find out uh, if Jesus is the one to come, if this is God come to save us, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus says, you tell John the Baptist, you write this down and you tell John the Baptist that the eyes of the blind are opened and the ears of the deaf are unstopped and good news is preached to the poor. This, of course, is why we stop at Christmas. Um, God with us, they marveled all. We're trying to get our head around it, but the real trick is to get your heart around it and then following your heart, your hands and your belly, you know, your guts and your um, legs and your feet to follow Jesus. There's a carol that goes, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Dalmadzo, to, to marvel. The birth narratives are full of joy and for this reason we want you to have a marvellous Christmas. But there's also pain in the story too, and that's important to, to, to see. And I don't know if you saw Dr. Natasha Moore's article in the Sydney Morning Herald today. If you're a Facebook friend of mine, I linked it this afternoon. There's pain in, this, in the Christmas narrative, and that's important to say for any of you who are feeling vulnerable at this time. But in the pain, there's joy. Some joy moments here. I mean, you can see them already, but Zachariah, filled with the Spirit and praises God, his tongue loosened. Mary is filled with joy as she meets uh, her cousin Elizabeth. And as later she'll treasure the words uh, that she hears in her heart. On Tuesday and Wednesday we'll look at the angels who visit the shepherds. 
the angels will fill the skies with glory and the shepherds will be amazed. They won't be able to stop speaking. Uh, Simeon is satisfied when he holds the baby Jesus Christ and the wise men worshipped. But there's pain in the story too. Israel suffering under an oppressor. Joseph is worried when he finds out his wife is pregnant before they had come together. So he's worried about public disgrace. Perhaps there's innuendo and fear that Mary is found to be with child. There's dislocation as pregnant Mary has to travel to Bethlehem. It's so inconvenient. It's a humble, messy, inconvenient birth. And then later Herod will slaughter the innocents. So this is not, you know, when we say a marvellous Christmas, we're not saying a marvellous Christmas that counsels out the truth about your difficult lives. And lives are difficult. Any joy that we have, are going, that we're going to have from God is going to be experienced in the real world, not a fantasy one. There'll be hope in it through promise, but it will be joy in a real world. What I want to do now is settle down on seven verses um, of, of our text today. And they're on page 10, seven verses from verse 39, the ones where um, this extraordinary moment, really, where John the Baptist is in utero uh, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And uh, in utero, John the Baptist, who'll grow to be a man and um, challenge people with fire, you know, he'll say, you're not, you know, get ready for God to come. Your lives aren't, you know, he'll... He'll let him have it. Um, but in, in, in utero, he, he leaps. Uh, that's what Mary says. That's what Elizabeth says, I should say. Uh, it's what God has revealed to us by his spirit. Look at verse 39. At that time, uh, presumably pregnant Mary got ready. After hearing this news that uh, she'll be with child, she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home. His tongue now loosened and uh, he greeted Elizabeth. He'll, he'll do Zachariah's song in, a, in the, the end of this chapter. And uh, she greets Elizabeth. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, we're told, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And a loud voice, filled with the Spirit, she exclaimed to Mary, Bless are you among women? Of all women, you're blessed. And blessed is the child you will bear, Jesus Christ. But she asks, why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, get that. Um, Jesus isn't born yet, but Elizabeth can say to Mary that she's the mother of my Lord. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now you see what you have there, don't you? There's a baby in the womb of Elizabeth and a baby in the womb of Mary, John the Baptist and Jesus. She travels, Mary, to her relative Elizabeth and stays. And uh, Elizabeth's baby leaps for joy in her womb at the voice of, of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. You've got this sort of John the Baptist doing this um, intentional backflip of joy. And there's Elizabeth feeling it. Um, it's sort of like, wow, what a moment. 
uh, like as these women come together, the, the wombs sort of touch each other and joy comes alive. Now, obviously, we're guided by the Word of God here and the experience of Elizabeth. It's such a powerful experience. Elizabeth is the one that says it to, to Mary in verse 44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. I've got a couple of kids, and I still remember the first time I saw a beating heartbeat um, on an ultrasound, something Mary and Elizabeth could not have experienced uh, I was talking to Kim Oates, who read the scriptures a moment ago, and he's a doctor. He's not an obstetrician like the man behind him, but, um, but uh, you know. Of course, back in those days, you might not even necessarily know you, uh, you're pregnant besides obvious things, but you, it might be months and months before you got some clarity on this matter because you feel uh, the kicking of a baby in a womb. But for, for me and for, for Laurel, we could walk into a, an ultrasound, and, uh, and I'll never forget... My son is 15 now, so it was 16 years ago. Eight-week ultrasound. And there he is, we're looking up at a little screen, and there's the little bean, not yet formed. There's no... But I can see him there, and um, like a third of the image is uh, of a heartbeat. Boom, 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 boom. A strong, steady heartbeat. When I saw it, I left for joy. <laughs> But here it's John the Baptist in the womb leaping for joy at the arrival of Mary with the boy Jesus and Elizabeth feels it. So seven verses from our text today and I want to ask and answer two questions and there's a typo on page 12. I want to ask and answer two questions. Number one, what made, what made John leap for joy in the womb? And secondly, what would make you leap for joy? What makes you leap for joy? So firstly, what made John leap for joy in his mother's womb. In the end, we're not told. He heard Mary's voice. That's all we're told. But I wonder whether Tom Wright touches on this when he says this. He says, Mary and Elizabeth shared a dream. I don't mean a dream at night uh, revealed to both of them, although both of them had specific revelations, or rather, Zachariah did, and Mary and Joseph did, and the angels will... Uh, as we learn on Tuesday, but Mary and Elizabeth shared a prophetic dream, namely the ancient dream of Israel, the dream that one day all that the prophets had said would come true. Mary and Elizabeth, like so many Jews of their time, they searched the scriptures. Do you do that? They soaked themselves in the Psalms. That's a valuable thing to do. The prophetic writings, which spoke of mercy and hope and fulfillment and reversal of revolution of victory over evil, and of God coming to rescue us at last. And all of that is poured into this song from verse 46, Mary's song, like a rich, foaming drink that comes bubbling over the edge of the jar. Of course, John the Baptist is in the womb, but perhaps there's something of this sense that even John the Baptist has a connection with Jesus ahead of him preparing the way. Let's talk about Mary for a moment. This part of the Bible speaks highly of Mary's faith. She's blessed among women, the one chosen to bear the Messiah. Beneath her teenage skin lay the hope of the world. Mary could barely comprehend it then, but she believes. Joseph is told they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And John would later write, the one by whom and through whom and for whom the whole world was created, the eternal Son. John would write, the word became flesh, 
in Mary's womb, the cells divided, and dwelt among us. Incarnation, we call it. Here's how Lucy puts it in the Chronicles of Narnia. One of my favorite quotes at Christmas. Yes, said Queen Lucy, in our world too, a stable once held something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. A stable once held something that was bigger than our whole world, Thalmadzo. They marveled all. In Mary's womb is the heartbeat of God. No wonder John leapt for joy. Mary's faith is being commended in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed. Uh, her faith is simple. Uh, the angel speaks and she believes all the promises that have come to her. Now much has been written and ink spilled over uh, these uh, verses over centuries. Um, Roman Catholic Church has been uh, made a lot of, uh, you know, blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Protestants came along later and said, yeah, you know what, they're trying to separate fact from fiction. They, uh, Protestants tend to say uh, no, and they're right to do so. I think I'm going to explain that in a moment's time. Uh, there'll be a tendency to say that Mary means nothing, and yet clearly uh, Elizabeth says that Mary is blessed among all women. Uh, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But none of this means, none of Elizabeth's words mean that Jesus ought to be worshipped or prayed to. Not then, not now. Nowhere else in Scripture are we told that Mary herself was immaculately conceived, herself, or that she was perpetually a virgin in Mark chapter 3, Jesus' mother and brothers will come and um, arrest Jesus and will try to take him away. Not arrest him, try to take him away. She does not redeem us and she's not ruling in heaven next to Jesus. We do not believe at the same time that Mary lived a charmed life. Simeon will say to her, sword will pierce your own soul too. It's going to hurt Mary. Mary, at one point, Mark chapter 3 again, she herself thought that Jesus was out of his mind, that he was a little bit crazy because of what he was saying. And yet at the end, she was found at the foot of the cross of her son. So devastating. What does it mean that she was blessed? I take it to mean that she was highly honoured. God gave to Mary a gift that he gave to no other woman. And Elizabeth knows it, and so does the child in her womb. So does John the Baptist. So secondly, what would make you leap for joy? Well, I could ask you the question, what does make you leap for joy? What deeper happiness are you seeking that you believe will give you the joy that you seek? Blaise Pascal once said, all men seek happiness, all women Seek happiness, that is without exception, whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. Some make war, some make peace. In the end, they're looking for happiness. I think God's challenge for you to, this afternoon, uh, tonight, uh, this evening, is to make Jesus your deepest joy. Because I promise you, and this is true, a thousand lesser joys are crying 
for your attention. They're begging for your love, for your worship, really. These thousand lesser joys might be people you know or possibilities with work, potentials in life, possessions you have, holiday destinations. Each one of them is hungry uh, for you to find ultimate meaning in them, waiting for you. It's like a reverse advent, really. They're waiting for you to come and and, uh, give you the affection that they believe you need. And they're presenting themselves to you at every point. Um, Read uh, Natasha Moore's article in the Herald, again linked on my Facebook page, about how Christmas is actually quite vulnerable, even though if you watch Facebook uh, all the time, uh, everybody's outward world and curated world is speaking to your inner world. Whenever you look at Facebook, everyone's outward world is speaking to your inner world. Crying out uh, that if you just had these things, then you would finally have ultimate joy. But Lewis once famously said, no ultimate joy resides in Jesus and in the glory, uh, the weight of glory that he offers and the future that he has prepared for those who love him. And so he says that, you know, if we're choosing the lesser joys, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition as lesser joys when infinite joy is offered us, he says. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot understand what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. If the claims of Christianity are true and you've got to decide that, maybe God will touch you uh, tonight, then in Jesus is infinite joy and not an illusion. Again, Dr. Moore from, the, from CPX, she says this, I happen to be Christian, so I do think the story of Mary and Joseph, the stable in Bethlehem, the shepherds, the wise men, is true. Or more accurately, I'm a Christian because I, I believe it's true. And, if there's a, and there's a real sense, she writes, in which this is an all-or-nothing game. If God really did show up within his own creation at Christmas, then no story in the world carries more meaning than this one if it's merely a human invention, this story, then it's a message, its message of hope is an illusion. Well, why did he come? Well, he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. He came to show us the Father's heart. He came to show us his will and his way and to challenge your will and your way. He came to challenge us. But he came also to save us and to redeem us, to secure for us knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. He came to heal sick hearts like mine, to soften stubborn hearts, to break down cynical hearts, to give us a new pulse, a new heart, a new spirit to raise us from the dead. And he'll come again to judge the world with justice and show mercy to those who have faith in him. He came to show us how to live, to love, and how to long for the life of the world to come. But what of elusive joy? 
Uh, Ray Smith, as you know, Bishop Ray Smith is a mentor of mine and a former employee here, but still a member of the 1015 congregation. He gives this great illustration. I've said it on a number of occasions. When it comes to experiencing joy in life, it's like you're on a boat on water, and there are several ways to experience the water on a boat. One of the ways to experience water is through the sprays that uh, keep coming at your face, at your body. He says, this is the life's things that come your way, the joys and the interesting things and the work that comes your way. Look, it's more than than uh, uh, a spray, um, the work that we do with our hands, God establishes and uses for his glory. But for the purposes of our illustration, imagine that these things just are things that keep hitting us from time to time. There's also another way to experience the water, which is the ups and the downs of life. And maybe you're in a down point now, maybe you're in an up point, but it's to go up and down with the, with the circumstances of life. But he says the third way to experience the water is to put your hand down deep into the current which is always present and always there. Jesus Christ is the undercurrent. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, which is why you can be down and you can be very down, very down, and still have joy because you locate your joy outside of yourself. You rejoice in the Lord, not in self. When there's a black dog inside, you can thank God that there's a stable outside. A stable in which God came to save us and to bring ultimate joy to his people ahead of the renewal of all things, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. True joy is not found inside, but rather outside and delivered in, but it's found in God who loves you and serves you and sent his son to die for you. I tell you what that means is that in theory and in practice you can throw anything at me Uh, you read the gospels new testament you could take my life and i'll still have hope i'll still be victorious in god for he comes will come to save in resurrection and so in the christian gospel my feeble hands are strengthened my knees will not give way i'll be able to stand For in the gospel I've been told, be strong, do not fear, your God has come. Let's pray.